Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, Master, Savior, Redeemer, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come and honor you and worship you and thank you today for your goodness, for your love, for your benevolence which reaches out to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you walk alongside us. You invite us to take your yoke upon us that we might find rest for our souls. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We give honor to you. Ask for your good, strong, faithful working in our midst this day. We pray through your great efficacious sacrifice. Amen. Before you're seated, turn and greet some folks near you. Share the love and joy of the Lord. All right. All of you perceptive and alert people, what have you noticed already today about our service of worship here? Come on, come on. All the songs we've sung have been by whom? Who? Fanny Crosby. Except for, where, where's Betty Curry? Is Betty Curry here? Betty, I had a, the, our closing little thing there was going to be something by Fanny, but Betty Curry talked me back in November or December and said, can't we sing? There's just something special about it. I said, okay, we'll change it. So we have all Fanny Crosby songs today, except for Betty. We, we love her too. And isn't that a good song though? Jesus, there's just something about that name and all the things it says. So it fit in quite well, I thought. So, but you'll see the, the last two hymns likewise will be Fanny Crosby hymns. Uh, she was blind, but she sure could see, right? <laughs> yeah, how about that? Uh, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday in many churches. Every Sunday, Sanctity of Human Life here, we would say, but we want to recognize it in a special way. Sharon Comley is here. She's going to come and share with us a little bit about, where is she? Here she is. Come on up. Uh, a little bit about the North Care Women's Center. And you're going to tell them a little bit about the bottles and what they're going to do with that. Is that correct? Sure. All right. God bless you. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. So I'm Sharon Comley. I work for the North Penn North Care Women's Clinic, we call ourselves. We moved recently to 311 North Broad Street. If you haven't seen us or come down to see our new facility, it's amazing. And Jerry is here, and he was very instrumental in that process. And so thanks to you guys for your support, um, your financial support, your prayer support, and your volunteering with us. We have been around since 1984. Pregnancy centers throughout the country have been around since very close to the time of Roe v. Wade. And what we do is help people who are considering abortion. So there's children who are alive today because of the work of pregnancy centers. So your prayers and your support and your volunteering is making a difference throughout the whole United States. So thank you. So Jenna has a table, Jenna Foote has a table out side with baby bottles if you guys wanted to provide support that way. It's just collecting change or whatever you want to donate and put in the baby bottle and then it will help to support the work of the ministry at 311 North Broad Street in Lansdale. So thank you everybody. Uh, those baby bottles, when you take them home, uh, we'll collect them on February the 17th. Just so you don't think, you know, we're going to collect them next week. It's February 17th, so just about a month. Uh, they'll be going on. So, uh, and Jenna, where's, where are the foots? Jenna, you'll be doing it? Okay. Because I knew that uh, someone was going to be standing back here to help people recognize it. So Mary Beth will be there. Okay. 
she'll break away from her husband of 10 years to do that, but they had a romantic weekend away to celebrate their anniversary, so here they can afford a little time apart now. Yeah. I better shut up and start reading Bible, huh? Amen. I'm okay with that. Our scripture lessons today are Deuteronomy 17. We'll be reading verses 14 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible uh, in the pew rack there in front of you. The page numbers where these passages may be found are listed in the bulletin, but you're always welcome just to sit back and listen to the word read. You know, until our own day and age, that's the primary way people, when they came to worship, heard the word. They didn't have books. They couldn't sit and read them. So they listened to the word read. And so we don't have any problem with people doing that. Uh, this is simply a portion of that book that Moses completed before the, just before the children of Israel went into the promised land. And he tells here, or God speaking through him, explains what should be the character of the kings down the road that they'll have. So listen here to God's word. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, and he, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Amen. Then we'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. Now find that passage if you're reading along. <clears throat> If we're not, just sit back and wait a little while while we get ourselves together here. <clears throat> we'll have 1 Kings 4, 22 through 34. And then I'm going to say, well, have your place ready to turn to 1 Kings 11, 1 through 11. We're going to read after, right, we'll go right into those. These are descriptions of Solomon and what his kingdom was like. Solomon is the fellow that we're really looking at today. Uh, it's fascinating. Listen here to God's words. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. Now, one core equaled about 10 bushels. Just so we hear core, we have no clue. So he had about uh, 30 cores, that'd be about 300 bushels of fine flour and about 600 bushels of meal each day. 10 fat oxen. 20 pasture-fed oxen, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over everything west of the river, from Tipsa even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river, and he had peace on all sides around about him. 
So Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, from north to south, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Those deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to King Solomon's table, each in his month, they left nothing lacking. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to place where it should be, each according to his charge. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the men of Ethan, for he was wiser than all men than Ethan, the Ezraite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the walls. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. We flip over to chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not follow the Lord fully, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, <coughs> on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Amen. And then our gospel lesson today is from Matthew chapter 21. Twenty-eight through thirty-two. It's a parable. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people have been challenging Jesus about certain things, and uh, he asked them about John the Baptist. They're not quite sure what they want to say about that. They don't want to say anything. So he tells them this parable. Listen here to God's word. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second 
and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Gracious God, we love your word. We thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for the way you've spoken into our lives through it. Thank you, Lord, for the parts you've put into our minds that are still there that we can reflect on and remember all the time. We want that to grow. And Lord, we pray that today, your word which we've read may take root in us. We pray, Lord God, that you'll help me, the preacher, preach your word faithfully. That, Lord, you make it be fruitful in all our lives. That, Lord, you might be glorified that our lives may be filled with your presence, with your hope, every step of our lives. We pray this through Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. Amen. So what's the king to do? Two women come in, each wanting one baby. Their stories conflict, because you see, both women had a baby, but one of the babies died. The mother laid on it at night, and uh, it died, suffocated. Now both women are here claiming this baby is their baby. What's he going to do? How's he going to decide that case? That's a real case that came before Solomon. Well, Solomon had some wisdom from God. And he wasn't sure. I mean, you can't tell looking at a baby. You've got two women there. Which mother, which woman is the mother? You just can't tell it from looking that way. So Solomon, in, in a stroke of wisdom from God, said, Both of you claim this baby? Yes. One says the other's lying, one says the other one's lying. He says, bring me a sword. They bring him a sword, said, put the baby out here, we're going to cut it in half, and each can have half. Wasn't that wise? It was. Because what? The real mother said, oh, no, 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 don't kill the baby. Don't kill the baby. I want the baby to live, even if another woman must have this child as her child. I want the baby to live. And so Solomon said, she's the mother, give her the baby. That's the sort of thing for which Solomon was known. It's an exercise of the wisdom God gave him. So let's consider Solomon and God. Do you you remember who Solomon's mother was? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Uh, That carried lots of freight. She was not beloved in Israel. Many of the Israelites consider that Bathsheba had led David astray. Now we know such was not the case. David didn't need any leading. He was out there running around looking to go astray, right? But in terms of how the, the community, the culture saw that, that Bathsheba, she's a wicked woman. Look what she made, all these things that King David did because of her. If it had been up to them, she'd been exiled long ago, or put to death. Uh, now, no one expected that her son, Bathsheba's son, 
would be king after David. Just shouldn't be. Not right. Uh, now Bathsheba was, she had no clue that her life was in danger if someone else became king besides David. Uh, and most likely Solomon would experience the same fate she did if someone else became king after David other than him. And in fact, on the very day when all was going to happen, another son of David, Adonijah by name, was being crowned king, coronated down at the, the special springs. Joab was there, Abiathar the priest, all the other rest of the king's sons were there, saying, hooray, long live Adonijah, king of Israel, because David was old in his senility and he was in bed up there. And uh, it was a done deal, Adonijah was going to become king. Now, there were some guys who did not go down there. Nathan the prophet, Zadok the priest, some others. And Nathan the prophet, you remember, is a wise fellow. I mean, a wise in a good sense. He's the one who exposed to David his hypocrisy with regard to Bathsheba. Right? So he knows this whole story. So he goes in and uh, tells Bathsheba, do you know what's going on? She says, well, yeah, they're going to make Adonijah king. He says, don't you know that your life will be forfeit? if Adonijah becomes king. And didn't King David tell you that your son would be king? Well, yeah, he did, but that was years and years and years ago. Lots of water's going over the bridge and under the dam, or under the bridge and over the dam uh, since then. Says, well, maybe you should go in and remind him of this. So she went in, and David received her and says, oh, oh my Lord, and, and he tells her, or she tells him that, you know, Adonijah's being made king today after you, and not my son Solomon. And no sooner does she go out than Nathan goes in, the prophet, and he confirms that. What are we to do? And David says, well, go get my mule, that is get Air Force One, or whatever it may be, all right? Put Solomon on that, and then you guys, Nathan and, 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 and uh, Zadok, other leaders, you lead him all through the city and say, long live King Solomon. They did that, and oh boy. So he had David's imprimatur on him. He would be king, and he was. He was coronated the same day as Adonijah was being coronated down there. Sort of out of the blue. No one expected it. Now, Solomon's life and rule as a king was very successful by any measure you want to make. He was not a warrior like his father. So far as we know, he never, except with the, the two women there, he never raised a sword. He was not a warrior. He did not do that, so far as we know. He was a negotiator. He was an administrator. He was a deal maker. He was a diplomat. He knew how to make things work just smoothly. He could orchestrate and do all those things. Those guys, you know, Adonijah, his brother, his half-brother, uh, Abiathar and Joab and all those folks who were down there having another king installed, he did not go out and kill them. Ordinarily in those days, in that time, if you had an, a guy who was a competitor for the throne and, and this had happened, you just send someone down there and kill them. What he did, he talked with them and he gave them certain restrictions. Do X, Y, Z and it'll all be fine. If you violate X, Y, Z, it'll be wrong. Your life will be forfeit. So he negotiated with them and they said, fine, we agree. Trouble is they all broke those deals and they all died 
But no one blamed Solomon because he'd made a deal with him. It was a fair and upright deal, and they had violated it, so they, their lives were forfeit. He was smart, very, very smart. And under, under his rule, the nation of Israel <clears throat> had its largest geographic extent and its most economic growth and stability of any time in history was under Solomon. Now, let's track Solomon just a little bit. David had planned the temple. David had saved up materials to build the temple, but Solomon was the guy who had to build it. Now, he has a wonderful long prayer at the dedication of the temple, but he also says something to the people after that. So, the, Andy, the first uh, projected here from 1 Kings 8, 60. Uh, now, this is from Solomon's address to the people at the time of the temple dedication in Jerusalem around 950 BC. Here's what he says. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no one else. That's what he said. That's right on target. There's a couple things to see there. First of all, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, God's interested in all the peoples of the earth that they would know him. Not just a little segment, but all the peoples on earth. That's been on God's heart. Well, we could go through that and show you that. But then that the Lord is God. He is God. There really is God. There's only one God. There is none other at all. He says, that's what we need to remember. Thank you, Andy. That's good. Uh, and worship is front and center as Solomon begins to reign. Life sets in, though. He's very disciplined. He's very ordered in what he does. What goes on, uh, he, like I said, he arranges everything. It's well appointed. All the surrounding kingdoms hear about, you want to go see how things should be run? Go to Israel. See how Solomon has it set up. And among those who hear, is this famous account, the Queen of Sheba hears about that, of his wealth and his wisdom and all these things. And the, tells us in the scripture, she goes to see him. And she's impressed by what she sees and all that. But the thing that impresses her most is the conduct of his household. Everything is just right as it should be. And it says, and her breath was taken away. Yeah, the Queen of Sheba. And uh, so he had things, I mean, his ushers, when they ushered stuff, you know, uh, they were dressed in tuxedos. You know, and they marched in step. And they, you know, all those things, you know, his, his livery was, was the way it should be. Just exactly right. And uh, all things went that way. Her breath is taken away. He was engaged in scientific research. We read about it. Botany, horticulture, uh, animal sciences. He, he, he himself was actively engaged in research about those things. He was very, 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 very smart. Knew a lot of stuff. He, had, he was a literary man. He had, did you read, did you hear what we said about his literary output? He wrote a bunch of proverbs. We have them in our Bible, some of them. He wrote over a thousand songs. So he was, he had a literary, aesthetic part of him that was communicated, not just scientific, but, but good that way. He was an accomplished fellow. And economically, he could beat any economist today. You know, it says in the Bible, it says in his days, silver was not 
not used as currency because it was so common, it was as common as the sycamore trees by the river. So we just won't bother with silver because everyone has a bunch of silver. We just do gold. Okay. Uh, and diplomatically, he was at the top of the heap among the nations. Those foreign wives that we read about, that we heard about there in 1 Kings 11, those were diplomatic triumphs. Other kingdoms wanted to be allied with Solomon. The way you made a diplomatic alliance up until, and it's still it's sort of true, till the last generation or two was you intermarried. That's the way that happened. And everyone was wanting Solomon to take one of their daughters for a wife. And he was amenable to that. Somewhere along the line, though, those wives became more than diplomatic triumphs. At some point, he bought into the notion of tolerance. He kept the temple, but he built other temples for other gods, of which Erdogan said there are no others at all. He did that so they could worship. Now, religiously, that tells us something about him. There was a slide going on during the course of his life. He built things that the Bible calls abominations because of what they did. Now, whether he participated in that, one does not know. The Bible doesn't say. One presumes that perhaps he did. But one could presume that he did not. He just provided for his wives. We don't know. And it mentions three particular gods or places that he built. One for the Ashtaroth. That had to do with sexuality and fertility. Uh, they were just as rank and uh, headed down the wrong path as we are today, maybe more so. Uh, just think of where we are with the LGBTQ and all the rest of that. Think where we are with that. They were there and more. Ashtaroth. They had temple prostitutes and could do most anything. He built a place for that to take place. Then there's Milcom and Chemosh. Among the things that was foremost of the way they worshiped was child sacrifice. That is, you'd sacrifice a child in order to have a better life, to make things happen, to have things go well with you. And on Sanctity of, life, human, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, you cannot but think of the abortion industry worldwide, where people have abortions so life will go better for them. That somehow the, the sacrifice, the killing of this child will make their life less complicated, will make their way better, will have, there's reasons for that. Always good reasons for why we should offer a sacrifice. So we'll have more sustained good times. Well, wait. What happened to Solomon? That wise guy. I mean, who had real wisdom from God. Where early on he knew what a mom would do. He brought the sword out. Any mother would do anything to have her child live. That's what God has put into the hearts of moms. 
anything. I want my child to live. Even if the child has to live with someone else's, the mom, I would prefer that than my child to die. Now, he's involved in changing mom's minds so that they sacrifice their children. They do exactly the opposite of what God put into the human heart, how we should conduct ourselves, and led them that way. Now, Andy, we have a Matthew 6, 22 through 23 uh, shot. Can you put that one up there for me? Nope, next one, the one after that. There we go. Here's what happened. This is Jesus speaking the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Uh, AD 31, more or less. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That's good. What happened to Solomon was that he had switched lights somewhere along the line. And the light that he had was really darkness, and he began to do all these wicked, bad things. He promoted darkness. Now, I simply want you to think about Western culture. Includes us, but includes all of Western culture, and how we have made that same switch that Solomon made, or culturally. We've gone from what is light, obvious, to shadows, to darkness. And now we are culturally promoting things that are wicked, that are darkness. How great is that darkness if that's the light by which we walk? That's what we should see here. We should know that. You can't read about Solomon without thinking about us. Is there ever been a land that's more blessed than the United States of America? Think of what we've done, prospered and growed. And yet, where are we headed? Where are we now? Have we forgotten the foundations? And you'll hear people say that America's not a Christian nation. Baloney. It's built on a Christian worldview. It kept separated out. It's not a theocracy, but it's built on a Christian worldview. You've got to have a worldview, you know, where you're coming from. And America was built on that. And we're rapidly saying no to that, both intellectually and morally, philosophically. Well, if that light that's in you is darkness, what happens to your legacy? Uh, verse 11 of chapter 11 of 1 Kings tells us one of the things that happened there was that the kingdom became divided. You know, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, all that comes about because of Solomon. If he kept his way, that would not have happened. And there's all kinds of of, of, uh, stains and hardships and things that come about because of a divided kingdom. What he built... Those altars remained and stained. Now, if you would please, Andy, put up that Second Kings twenty-three passage or First Kings twenty-three passage. Here, 
you see when this was written? Or depicts something happening in 627 BC. Now Solomon had those things built somewhere in the early 900s. So 300 years have gone by. 300 years of Israelite history. Now Josiah, Josiah is cleaning up Jerusalem. He's been, so one, we did this back last October, November. Uh, we, we preached through about uh, Josiah's revival. Here's part of what he does. The high places which were before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the Mount of Destruction, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the sons of Ammon, he got rid of those. So for 300 years, part of Solomon's legacy was this abominable worship and behavior was always a stumbling block for the children of Israel. Do you recall how Solomon is mentioned in the New Testament? Two ways. That's all. He's not mentioned hardly at all. One way is that you can get dressed as finely and wonderfully as you want. You have the beauty of Solomon, but even the flowers of the field are greater than that. That is, God, what God does is greater than what Solomon did. Or what we can do. God's beauty is greater. The other place it is mentioned, where Solomon is mentioned, is the wisdom. He says, you know, the queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, Jesus tells the scribes and Pharisees, but someone greater than Solomon is here, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know that. Therefore, we need to trust God. We need to do His will. We need to gain and stay in His wisdom. Gain His wisdom and stay there. So then we have these two sons. The story from Matthew that we read, the parable that Jesus told. Very different beginnings and very different endings. Where will you be when you get where you're going? Solomon never intended to end up where he did. He sort of ebbed into that, didn't, he just went that way. I think that Solomon and Nebuchadnezzar make good prototypes for those two sons Jesus told the parable about. Nebuchadnezzar, wicked guy, did all these bad things. But the last thing we read in the Bible about what Nebuchadnezzar said and did, he said, I praise, I exalt, I honor the king of heaven. That's what he said. The last thing we hear about Solomon is that God was angry with him. Now there's a couple of things that we need to take from that. One, even if you have been or you know someone who's as wicked, as powerful, as mean, as destructive as Nebuchadnezzar, God can change him. Okay? Just so you know, God can change him. Have hope, pray, witness, share, do whatever. But even if you have had all these wonderful things that God has done in your life, if you say, sit back, soul, relax, enjoy yourself for a while, just do whatever you'd like, watch out. You'll be like Solomon could end up like Solomon. That is, the last mark of a saint of God is the mark of 
perseverance. We continue on all the way through to the end. I want to live well. Don't you want to live well? Yeah, we want to live well. Nothing wrong with that. I want to die well also. I want to die full of faith. Not tired out, not washed out, not like Solomon. So today, on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, let's purpose, as God gives us grace, to have the wisdom of Solomon in his early days and not get sucked in by other lights. You know, we have around us all kinds of proliferation of messages, and, and you hear that and you think, oh, that's right. It's not. Remain steadfast. Persevere in the truth of God. Amen.